24 minutes it is after 8 p.m. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to get hold of Pakamisa uh, Nzamela, but uh, because uh, he's launching his book, uh, which uh, we kicked things off last week with uh, in our Thought Leader Thursday segment uh, titled The Native Merchants, The Building of the Black Business Class in South Africa. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, we talk about a lot of books on this platform, but uh, I must say I talked this one up uh, somewhat, and some people say selfishly because... Uh, uh, maybe you know in the interface or any you know tete with some of my own written work, but um, I must say, I mean, as a buff of history and uh, somebody who's quite interested in uh, you know history, uh, industry, power, identity, and all of those things, uh, I think it's a fascinating account of the untold stories of industry and commerce. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's uh, probably very busy signing books there. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you want to look at him, I'm So uh, we certainly hope we'll uh, be able to get hold of him uh, uh, in the not so uh, distant yeah, future here in the next few minutes or so. And uh, yeah, that is Pagami Sanzamela, who's going to be joining us as our thought leader on this Thursday. Uh, good evening, Aya. Hey, uh, good evening to our listeners. Uh, let me comment the issue as a maskrali issue as a pretorano, the so, issue so. of water crisis in pretorano. Hey, this issue has been there for years and mm. decades, plus 20 years, plus 30 years, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Uh, and so when they took power in 1994, they failed to address certain issues, issues that affect ordinary people ordinary people on villages, ordinary people on the street of the locations. So, even when the value, even the crisis of water, the shortage of water. So, they, they can't be saying this issue, it's all about theft of the cable, this and that. They're trying to defend themselves instead of facing the facts of the matter. Uh, going forward, you've got the issue with the Eastern Cape, of which I want to address as well. So, so briefly. I don't know who started the, the, this war or battle, if I were to say so. Uh, it then tells you about the foreign nationals in this country that they've got the powers more than the citizens who vote, who go and elect certain political party to be in power in the municipality and everything. I am not sure of that one, hey? Yeah, but I think on the first point around Haman Skral, I think the point is very clear and very well made. Uh, and I think people are getting very, very impatient, and rightfully so. Kutala uh, Benyamezele, you know, uh, this issue around uh, water. I mean, that water looks brackish, uh, water in Hamanskral. I mean, I've seen it on more than one occasion. Uh, and I think the second issue, certainly, uh, that you're raising around uh, what you read into Corsten is uh, that, um, you know, uh, foreign nationals have more power than... Uh, South Africans who are voting. Now, look, look, it might sound like it's something appealing, but I want to challenge you on that one um, and suggest that a big part of where the power derives from, the power to even feel that you can, you know, wantonly brandish, you know, uh, uh, um, arms of war, you know, these are arms of war, basically, um, and do so mercilessly largely has to do with the base of the economic and social relations that we find ourselves in. I can't run away from the fact that it's, it's people who, are in some cases foreign nationals, who you know, um, are participating in economic activities, who are eking out livelihoods in many of these spaces, while many South Africans feel like they do not have that. 
And I think for me, the power starts there before we even get to the power to be carrying a gun somewhere. You know, the base of that power is in the productive structure of the South African economy uh, and the continuing challenges around those issues. I don't think, you know, th- their power derives from the fact that they weren't born in South Africa. I think we, I think we must distinguish that um, because also in some cases people think, you know, uh, uh, being born outside of South Africa is synonymous with criminality or that it's synonymous, you know, with uh, doing all manner of untoward things uh, in industry. Uh, And yet we, you know, sometimes I guess overlook the fact that we need to confront our productive structure, which includes, yes, many of the foreign nationals who operate in many of our townships and uh, in our villages. But it also includes the people that they're stocking from. It also includes the people who are the manufacturers and the producers of many of these goods. Uh, and I think our analysis must go further than maybe just what the eye can see. Uh, but uh, thanking you once again for those voice notes. And uh, yeah, uh, let's, uh, without much further ado, take a look at uh, the native merchants. It is indeed. And uh, it's the second part of our discussion with uh, Paramis Anzamela. And uh, yeah, we speak to him about uh, his book. And uh, we understand, of course, it was being launched tonight and uh, titled uh, The Native Merchants, The Building of the Black Business Class in South Africa. Um, and uh, yeah, we uh, are, are blessed to have been able to get a hold of you today as you launch your book. Good evening to you. Good evening, Klesibe. Thanks a lot, my brother, to you and uh, the Metro FM listeners for waiting and for giving me this opportunity. Saying, look, hey, bro, you promised us that we were going to speak uh, to this fellow once again to talk about his very, very insightful book and the many of the colorful characters in that book. Uh, and uh, yeah, I must say, that I say, Let's maybe start off uh, today. We, we spoke at length last week about the colorful characters, the ZK Matthews of the world, the Walter Sisulus, the Paul Mosakas, and others. Yes. And I want us to start again in the 19th century and mm. take a look at Omtika uh, Gamazalini, the Soka family, yes. uh, which I find a very fascinating family. And uh, yeah, many uh, of uh, the people who have been spawned from that family, even to this day, uh, continue to be very fascinating examples of uh, what many uh, of uh, the new generation call black excellence. Uh, but let's talk, let's talk about them, because we often talk about um, Dio Soka, uh, a graduate of Scotland. We talk about his sons in some cases, you know, A.K. Soka, Jotelo uh, Festire uh, Soka, Dr. William Anderson Soka. But we seldom speak of Soka, the patriarch. Soka, the guy who, I guess, uh, the surname was drawn from, because he was also a rather enterprising fellow as well. Yeah, you know Ayabongai, okay, you, you're now showing up yourself that you've read the book. So, this is the hidden story of uh, old Soga, the father to Dio Soga. He had participated um, in the Yinza War of 1835. And of course, the Corsas were dealt a, a massive blow by the colonial settlers. But uh, old Soga doesn't become despondent right? A new colonial structure is set up. And what does old Soga do? He takes advantage of the fort um, in, 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 in King Williamstown mm. because there were soldiers there, you know? So if, if you read 
uh, about old soccer. You know, he says to himself, he says in the text actually, that he sold peas, barley, to the old Johnny in a red pen, red tight pen. Yeah. Now the old Johnny, yeah, yeah, because right? I, I didn't know about El Johnny comes from Johnny. Correct, correct, correct. So he adopted the plow after he lost, you know, 1835. In the uh, he does indicate that he had to adopt his agriculture. His agriculture, that is the sorghum, you know, mm. it was never about subsistence. It was commercial. He sold to the state. Um, it, 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 it's a very amazing story. But of course, it goes beyond old soga, as you indicate. Mm. Your soga. First year soga. The first, not first black, listen carefully, the first South African to be accredited as a vet. Mm. In the Western That was sense, the legacy right, of the, the soga, mm. you know. Um, yeah. And then. Let's shift quickly just to sugar territory out in Guazulu uh, Natal uh, to the story of the Nembulas. Now, Nembula Makanya of the Kwabe clan uh, was later baptized uh, under a different name. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they were very much part of, I guess, you know, a particular type of Amakolwa elite or what we would call in the parts of the Eastern Cape Amakopoka. Uh, I mean, talk to me about this particular story and I guess some of the other examples that you mentioned from places like the Free State uh, before, I guess, we get to the 20th century. Sure. So, the Nembulas, you know, are the Kwabes of Natal, as you as you say. One of the things that they did, Ayabonga, was to shed the blanket. You know? They shared the blanket and they adopted Jesus Christ, our Lord, mm. the Savior. But this is the beauty about Nembula. You know, he starts his own sugar meal, which Nwaita Nemkwanas. They raised their own money, Ayabonga, to start the sugar meal. And um, I think in the 18, 18, towards the 1870s, they take their sugar samples to Paris, mm. from Guazulu to Paris. You know, such was the beauty of, 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 of the Nembulas. Of course, the Nembulas are contemporaries of the Sogas. Mm. You know, both families produce the first native doctors, medical doctors. So John Mavuma Nembula, um, who qualified in America in the 1870s, and of course, the Sorgas had produced William Anderson Sorga. Mm. Unfortunately, um, you know, the 1870s global economic challenges had an impact on the sugar business um, of, of the Nembulas. Um, they tried hard doing other things. Um, the old man really kept it up. But again, Ayabonga, succession, when the old man passed mm. away, the children could not keep the farm that he had built. Mm. And you know, I guess that that is not just a, a historic theme in the 19th century, uh, Pagamisa, but uh, also remains very much a contemporary theme. I mean, if I think of the many, you know, uh, uh, traders, general dealers, and many others who operated in retail, which is, I guess, the most observable 
part of black enterprise for a considerable amount of time in the 20th century in South Africa. Uh, they were also in many ways faced by the same issues of uh, succession. You, you know, um, it's something that continues to dog us, um, Ayabonga, even post-1994. Um, I was alluding to that in the book launch. Um, the biggest challenge is knowing when to let go of the business mm. as a native and saying, yes, I love my son, I love my daughter, but she's just going to destroy the business. Mm. Let's get someone external to run the business. It is not a taboo. So if you look at one of the popular retailers, right, the, a grocery store, yes. their family was underperforming. They went to England and they acquired the skills of a man who goes by the name of Richard. Mm. And he turned around the fortunes of that retail business when internally, you know, they couldn't have, 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 have fixed it. So I think the lesson is that, um, you know, as, as natives, um, we, 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 we really need to think about succession because most of the companies that were born post-1994 are only 25 years old. Imagine if they don't make it to 50 years hmm. because of poor succession. And my biggest worry is that when you go to the website, most of them do not have a layer of management beyond the founder. Yeah. So the business is the founder. Yeah, born like. While we quickly take a look at what's happening in England, and then when we come back, uh, I want us to talk about uh, the colorful character of Richard Baloy, uh, from taxi driver to bus owner, and uh, at uh, some stage in the 1940s, yeah, ill-fated treasurer of the African National Congress. It is indeed, and uh, 17 minutes it is now before 9 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro, and our thought leader on this Thursday joining us for the second edition of our discussion of his book, Native Merchants, The Building of the Black Business Class in South Africa, is Pagamisa Nzamela. Pagamisa, let's take a look quickly at uh, and fast forward from the 19th century, and I think your comments on succession are very, very interesting, and we'll come back to some of those themes but let's head out to the Alexandra of the 1940s. I mean, uh, this is in many ways the, the Alexandra that Nelson Mandela speaks of in his book, uh, or, or earlier Alexandria, uh, and uh, the vibrancy and, uh, you know, the uh, certainly a place on the move, uh, if one thinks of it. And a big part of even our history of, you know, Alex bus boycotts and a lot of that uh, always, I guess, hits up against the story of one Richard Beloy. Who is Richard? Uh, and more importantly, what uh, gap did he exploit in the transport sure. business to become such a massive player? Sure. So, so, so you know, Ayabonga, and thanks for, 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 for really alluding to Richard Baloy, um, because the idea in the book was to try and tell a South African story, mm. not a Natal story, sure. not a Cape story, not a Gauteng story, a broad story, you know, where everybody can see them, themselves. Now, Richard Baloy, you know, I want to start with a quote, uh, you know. The guy in 1847, he's got a medical condition, and uh, he needs to go to the United States for medical treatment. 1947. Mm. Um, so he has to write to the Native Commissioner to apply for the passport. This is what 
they say about Richard Baloyi's application. The applicant's financial position is very sound, and it is not considered likely that he will have any difficulties maintaining himself abroad. Mm. His wife is self-supporting, operating her own bank account, and collecting approximately £150 monthly from rental of their property. Mm. Now, who was Richard Baloy? This is a man, you know, who was born in 1897 in Petersburg. But he was a resident of um, Alex, you know. Um, he took advantage of the migrant labor dynamic. As you know, there was a need for people to commute from the township to town, right? Now, this is what Richard Bandoy does. Um, he starts as a taxi driver, Baba, in 1922. In 1925, Ayabonga, Richard Baloy moves up the ladder and starts buying his own taxes. Mm. He did so well that in 1927, you know, he had become a bus owner. At the time, in 1927, there were only five bus operators on the Alexandra to Johannesburg uh, bus route. Um, such, such, such was the marvel of the man. On his letterhead, the man had letterheads. Eh? He was organized. Hey. On his letterhead, business letterhead, he identified himself as the managing director of the Alexandra Land Industrial and Investment Company, mm. an estate agency, and the director of the Rustenberg bus service. But what happened? You see, because of consistent anti-competitive behavior, 1931 legislation Ayabonga introduced in Johannesburg Transportation Act. This law introduces a timetable and a fare, a stipulated fare for buses. What compounds that is that there is the introduction of the public utility transport company. Hardcore. Subsidized, yes, and controlled by white people, of course, at the time. What that did, it took away the ability for the Alexandra Bus Owners Association, which Baloy led, to compete. They couldn't have competed against subsidies, could they? Mm. You know, um, and and and. And, and 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 the weird thing, you know, was um there was someone <laughs> at Paco Pastor who was also in the AMC, uh Constantine Ramahune. Mm. And uh him and Baloi had uh, serious issues. Uh, I'm sure you've read in the text, uh Baloi was not a good uh, businessman. Uh, sorry, sorry, I was not a good politician. politician yes, he was yes. a great he was a great businessman, but not a good politician. As Uta Gaga Gaga would say, a pimta, Ashley Peter, Ashley Peter. He says, Gone are the days when we respected um, Richard Baloy as an esteemed businessman. Now he wants to participate in politics. Of course, he was very inefficient as a treasurer of uh, the ANC, and um, he got berated um, for that. 
But here's a unique thing, you know, about the story of Richard Baloi when I am It says to us that people were involved in Congress before people were involved in business before and Congress, Congress mm. you know, before 1994. Mm. So the whole lazy analysis that people get involved in business because of Congress, you know, is just kicked very hard, you know, by the example of the likes of Richard Baloy. Mm. I mean, the, 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 the son of Z.K. Matthews, you alluded to Z.K. Matthews, you know, another congressman. You know, um, Joe Haubakwe Matthews, the mother to... The father to... Uh, the father uh, to Dr. Naledi Pando, yes, Mam Naledi, yes. Now, how about Matthews writes to his father, you know, I, 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 he seemed to have been closer to Dr. Moroka, um, who ran retail businesses too, as a medical doctor. He writes to his father, he says, Pa, in the letter, has just bought this uh, sports car. We were talking about that earlier. Uh, in the context yeah. of the Bentley Pen Tiger, but yeah. <laughs> exactly, and equivalent of the time. Um, <laughs> sure. has just paid one thousand five hundred pounds odd, you know, in a sports car. Last month he bought another one for over a thousand pounds, you know, and uh, the insurance alone was about six hundred pounds. Mm. And he says, "Pa, um, Congress was always petite bourgeoisie." Mm. <laughs> Hold the line there for me uh, on that point because I want us, just as we wrap up, to speak about the Native Representative Council in the context of Lendoye Petit Bourgeois because in many ways, you know, a lot of, uh, especially us in the younger generation, and councillors, we think it's the first time in the history of uh, at least of all the ANC where it would have fielded candidates for a council at a local level and yet... You know, this was the case with Native Representative Councils uh, right up until, I guess, you know, the youth of the 1940s uh, uh, pursued a line of uh, non-collaboration. And I want to talk about how the NRC was used as an avenue, I guess, to pursue some uh, commercial interests as well. And we'll continue after this. It is indeed. And uh, yeah, this evening we're talking about the Native Merchants, the building of a black business class, a, a book recently released uh, under the pen of Paramizan Zamela, uh, taking a look at uh, uh, the uh, history uh, of uh, black business in South Africa in the 19th and the 20th century across a wide range of sectors and spanning the pre-colonial, colonial and apartheid periods. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, referred to as an engaging and highly readable overview uh, by uh, Colin Bundy, uh, who's one of the reviewers of this uh, particular book. Paramisa, I want us to talk about the Native Representative Council, uh, sure. especially in the context of you know, um, the broader, I guess, hegemonic view of non-collaboration in the liberation struggle. Uh, because, you know, a lot of us like to think of, you know, the ANC just as a mass organization. But that's only a reality of the ANC probably post the 1950s. Uh, and before then, it's the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, as uh, the Youth League of the 40s said. Uh, and uh, very much part of that extraordinariness of uh, many of the... Uh, commercial elite and political elite of that time is their participation in the native representative councils. So, you see, when I'm saying as you read 
No, no, I can't gloss over. You are forcing me to, to recall. No, again, again, I'm saying Now, the Native Representative Council, ne? its context, context um, Ayabong and the listeners, if you recall, before 1936, the Native in the Cape could vote yes. under a colorblind constitution, right? Subject to certain conditions. They have property, ufundile, how big is your property, mm. and so on. Now, in 1936, the native loses their vote um, because of racism, nothing else, you know. Having lost their franchise, there is a negotiation that a form of parliament must be formed to represent the views of the native. And so the native representative council um, was born. Who were its leaders? These were people in the ANC who used the Native Representative Council to fight for trading rights. So some people might say, ah, this was sell out because this thing was ineffective. But here's the thing. Would you rather have a shotgun when you've lost an AK-47 or no gun at all? And I think that was the the approach. You know, they had a long-term vision. Um, Thomas Matikel, businessman and ANC member. John Lang Albalele Dube, first ANC president. Albert Lutuli, ANC president. Z.K. Matthews, ANC K president. AWG champion, Natal, ANC president. Mm. Baloi, Gozo, Moses Gordon, Dr. Rosemary Bokwe, Nyanaga uh, Tatu Bokwe the composer, yes. also related to Mamna Lady Pandu. Mm. They were members of the Native Representative Council. Um, they would use the Native Representative Council as an instrument to vent the frustrations of, 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 of black people when it came to limited trading rights. Mm. So recall at the time in Devon, if you are black, and you own a butcher, you are not allowed to sell to Europeans. Um, if you are black and you own a butcher, you have to get a permit if you are to buy more than the legal restriction. And that really limited the efficiency. It was worse in the free state, where black people, you know, were just not given trading rights. Mm. And the argument then of that racist um, government structure was that the free state is just uh, the townships of black people in the free state um, are just a dormitory where people sleep um, and they wake up and they go to where they should not be allowed um, to do business. Now, in one of his comments in the Native Representative Council, Thomas Mapigan, um, who owned a boarding house, who was a carpenter and builder, Jamaica tells a sad story. The man used to supply great gloom. Mm. Yeah, death. Yeah, yep. because of his hand, you know, um, and talent. But what do racist people who don't want to compete do? They cut him out. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and uh, you know, those veterans, you know, the forebearers of Otatuma Pigela, you know, tried to use whatever platform that they had, you know, to seek economic redress.
And you know, it's it's so interesting. And uh, I mean, I, w- I really wish we had a bit more time. We just left with like a minute now. But um, mm. you know, when you paint the story of uh, Thomas Mapikela uh, mm. and uh, the artisans, because also there's that debate now yes. uh, uh, of artisanal skills and the role of artisans in building. I mean, an institution recognizable as Gray College mm. is now. Um, yes. And and you know, it's an interesting thing. But it's also interesting, I guess, because these are also the personages at the center of massive political changes. Um, yeah. I mean, if you speak to anybody from Guazul Natal about how the history of AWG champion is spoken of, uh, you know, yeah. my friend Castro Ngobese uh, often speaks about this. Um, and, and I'm quite interested, I guess, because there was a massive generational shift that happened in the 40s where this, this League of Gentlemen was seen in the way that you're painting as collaborators, as sellouts. Um, and I guess the big question mark I have as we wrap, uh, uh, Pagamisa, is in later generational shifts and even maybe in the generational shifts that might still happen, how, how do we think about that in the context of history and uh, tell a much wider and much broader and much more nuanced story than maybe what we have been doing thus far? Sure. So we've got to ask our yes, industrial yes. commercial yeah. union. Katali's Uchamp- union. Mm. Yes. Now, a champion could raise Imali from the union, you know, to buy, to make investments for the union, mm. you know, in property, right? Um, I write about that in, 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 in the text. Now, some people will use the, the slogan first and say, I was the first to raise money from union post-1994 <laughs> to do deals. <laughs> nothing is new hey. under the sun. Pagamisa? Out of nothing, nothing comes And may the discussion long continue. You can find the book in uh, all of uh, the reputable bookstores. Thank you, my brother. Much appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, the author of Native Merchants, the building of uh, the black business class in South Africa. Definitely go check it out and uh, yeah, get yourself a copy. It will make for fascinating reading. And uh, I certainly do think that uh, has to be part of the, uh, the reading list for the next generation as well. We leave it there this evening and uh, for this week. It's a little after 9 p.m. Centler standing by with all of the soulful sounds. Big thank you, Jola. Not yours for this uh, great product. And my pindi bonane, have yourself a great evening. Take strength, my Africa. Nangoku, sisai banga, le ekonomi.